Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, we'll go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score that would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History and its memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. Cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and find us on the web at GridironGreatsMagazine.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squires, Joe. Welcome to the show this evening. Uh, great to be back on, Bob. Great to be back on. And we're back for another show. And uh, I've been uh, doing a little research, even though there's not much going on as far as auctions are concerned. Uh, REA just closed an auction. And uh, I'm going to hand off to you and give us some feedback on what happened. Yeah, you know me. I've talked about it. I, I, I love auctions. I love seeing the material come into the market and football, good vintage football, so hard to hard to come by and pry out of us collectors' hands. Uh, so when a good auction comes up like RA, I'm always excited. Even their inter, you know, their, uh, you know, not their big one, their biannual one or quarterly. I think they do it now. And uh, you know, Brian Dwyer's been on the show, good friend, uh, and. Um, that's tough. There wasn't much in the last REA, and I, you know, I understand they got to take what's consigned to them. But they got two things I was bidding on. One of them was a BBC sealed uh, box of '86 Topps football, and uh, I saw that. You know, the other price, yeah, price got up there, and I'm just like, I oh, never mind. And it was just weird to not bid on anything. So I'm looking on Auction Report. Uh, you're familiar with Auction Report, right? They're kind of a summary of all Correct. auctions coming yes. up. Yeah, uh, auctionreport.com. 
uh, you know, and there's just there's nothing on the horizon. It's like, I think there's a Leland's one, but it's mostly basketball focused now. And for the first time, it's like this, uh, you know, this Sahara desert of auctions. And I'm looking around and I'm like, man, what, what's going on? I need to scratch that collecting itch. So I, uh, well, you know, eBay, I'm, I don't know. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I got a feeling uh, with the national coming up in six yeah. weeks, that may be an influence to what's going on. I know Leland's uh, later this summer, um, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure later this summer there's going to be an incredible um, piece uh, from the New York Giants, and I'm, that's all I'm going to say about it right now. Um, and uh, as we get closer and once they announce the auction, uh, we're going to talk about it on the show. But uh, I think it's Ooh. just the national uh, – the national coming up and dealers are holding stuff for the show. Uh, and totally or, uh, things are dried up right now for whatever reason. And I find that hard to believe also. Yeah. Could be. Cause I mean, I think all the collectors we know, we're kind of buy and hold people. Uh, not very often do I, you know, get rid of, you know, stuff in my collection. I mean, we've all swerved and, you know, verved and changed directions and what we collect. Uh, so, I mean, I, I guess stuff, you know, sometimes does, but what, every eight, nine years, we kind of, I kind of do a purge, but I was on eBay last night doing my, you know, my normal Sunday night look through. I think most auctions come up, you know, and, and Sunday and they run for a week, uh, right. you know, is what I've seen. And, you know, and then I have my searches that, you know, ping me during the week, but uh, you know, I usually start off looking for Red Grange stuff. I mean, I got to live up to my namesake, you know, in the gridiron intro. There, there yeah. wasn't much. I mean, I, I go to, you know, I go to, you know, buy it nows and I go to auction. I want to say there were less than a dozen things that were running in the auction format for Red Grange. Uh, wow. The lowest wow. number I've ever seen. I switch over to Jim wow. Corp. Same, you know, less than two dozen items for, for auction switch over to Steve Largent, uh, you know, not much new stuff. I start looking for, you know, chickles and maroons and uncut sheets and unopened. I mean, it was just, it was a, it was a barren wasteland, a Mad Max, you know, kind of ask for auctions. And it, it got me a little down, Bob. Well, like I said, I, th- I think, um, I think a lot of it is going to be national generated, and I think after the National, as some collectors possibly will go to the National and try to sell their wares or consign them to the auction houses, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I'm looking forward to going back to Chicago. It's been several years. I think the last show in Chicago that I actually attended before uh, the pandemic was in 2019. Uh, and um, it, it was a pretty vibrant show. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens at this show. I mean, I'm, I'm bracing myself already for um, the, the slab city, as I call it now, uh, everywhere I look. And I'm also bracing myself to see how much vintage football will actually be shown there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, if it's dried up or it's going to be plentiful or what happened to it. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, it's. I think it's going to be – I, I just feel it's going to be a long six weeks, especially for guys like you who love totally. auctions and, and 
enjoy bidding on them and and the uh, you know looking at what's on eBay and so on and so forth. So uh, and or you know it's just going to be a different type of summer this year. Uh, football is going to be pretty quiet, and uh, maybe baseball will be more prevalent or whatever the case might be. I don't know. I don't have a good read on it right now. I really don't. I don't. I don't. I'll admit. Really, I really can't I say it. You know. I've never really tracked how close to the natty things start to dry up. But this seems, I mean, like you said, it's six, seven weeks out. It seems a little early to stop listing stuff, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I get it in a way and I don't get it in a way. But then again, you know, at some point uh, we may have reached a saturation point a couple of years ago during the height of the pandemic where the last stuff was just being, you know, auctioned off here and there, uh, but now, you know, it could be, you know, a real changeover happening. I don't know. I, I don't have it. Like I said, I really don't have a good handle on it one way or the other. Uh, what's going to be interesting in the upcoming issue of Gridiron Greats Magazine, uh, I restarted my Turning the Pages uh, column uh, that I had right. back way back when in the early 90s for Sports Collectors Digest because I really feel publications are way overlooked in our hobby uh, today, and they're almost, you know, the unwanted child, and uh, they're, you know, being tossed, given away, so on and so forth, and as we become a more uh, electronic uh, media-type society, uh, where's all these publications going? And at the same time, we talked about this numerous times, where's all the stuff pre-World War II? Um, There's not that much of it there. Uh, because of, you know, paper drives and all that kind of stuff and, and just, you know, being destroyed over the years. To me, pre-World War II stuff, uh, um, pre-1945 stuff, should be going through the roof, if anything. So uh, it'll be interesting to see to see what's going on. But I restarted the column to start to educate collectors again and, and you know, new people in the hobby, you know, don't overlook publications. Uh, they're they're a great addition to your collection, and uh, I really believe there's a lot of bargains in the market right now for old publications, and and actually newer publications since most media guides are no longer being printed, programs aren't being printed, uh, you know, paper tickets are not being uh, issued anymore. Uh, it, it's really a major changeover in the hobby. So I think there's going to be a lot of demand down the road for publications. That's just my, you know, opinion on it. And uh, whatever will happen will happen, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. You know what I mean? So yeah, uh, something you just mentioned made me, uh, raised a question with me. What publications does the captain Bob Swick subscribe to? What shows up in your mailbox? I'm curious because I only subscribe to Gridiron Greats. I, I really I don't get anything anymore, to be honest with you. I, I you know I get a couple of local North Carolina magazines here, and, and that's about it. Um, I, I, there's no sports magazines to say anymore that one can subscribe to. I don't count Sports Illustrated anymore. Uh, they're a monthly publication, and the and the you know it's just I I can't stand reading it anymore. Um, I you know for football annuals. Since I'm in the south, uh, the Southern Conference down here, SEC, um, I normally pick up the annual 
uh, football publication of that. And if, if I see any other uh, publications like that, I'll pick it up uh, from the newsstand or from the store or whatever, and, and that's about it. But I, I don't subscribe to anything anymore, really. Uh, sad, to, sad to say. Oh, I, I take that back. I still get Wine Spectator, uh, which is non-football related. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have qualified so I track that. I have to, I have to clarify that. I still, uh, I still have to get my Wine Spectator. You probably. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we we find yeah. out when it comes in to see who reads the first. No, but uh, you know, uh, you know, again. What what is out there that you can really subscribe to? I mean, I don't get Beckett anymore. Uh, I probably pick up a Beckett football and a Beckett vintage at the show at the National, uh, which is what I did last year. And uh, I stopped buying the the big Beckett book because uh, two reasons: I can't see the the print anymore, uh, and I'm not going to buy a book and have to use a magnifying glass to try to to try find information anymore on it. Forget it. I'm done with that. So and I and I notice I use one example 1961 tops uh, I'm sorry 1960 tops metallic set they have never changed the price of that set since the early 90s and I find that kind of hard to believe okay so it's stuff like that that I, I they're they're more concerned with the new stuff and I still don't understand why they can't just split and do a, a, an older Beckett vintage book up to 1989 and then do a separate catalog for the 1990 up. I don't know why, you know, why that can't be done. You know, yeah, it's going to cost money. Well, you know, what are you supposed to do? Everything costs money. So uh, I don't know. But that's an interesting question. So I, really never, I, I never thought of it, but I really don't get any more uh you know, sport publications. In the heyday, I used to subscribe to the Sporting News, Sports Illustrated, Sport Magazine, Inside uh-huh. Sport Magazine. I used to get Football Digest. I read that, you know, religiously, literally up to when they stopped publishing. Yeah. Uh, Sporting News doesn't publish anymore. Sport Magazine, you know, closed. Inside Sports closed. Uh, the annuals are pretty much gone, with the exception of a few college here and there. But it's, it's really uh, it's sad to see. It really is, in my opinion. Yeah, but we'll still publish. And again, we should have uh, an enormous amount of subscribers. I don't know what people are waiting for. Why are they not subscribing? And I, and like I said before, privately to a few people, and we talked about this. You know, you'll spend five thousand dollars on a card, but nah, I don't know if I can do thirty dollars for your subscription to Gridiron Greats magazine. I got to laugh. Well, and when quite I frankly. Quite frankly, Gridiron Greats is an amazing deal at that price. I mean, it should be double that or $50. I mean, considering it's a color publication that's mailed to your, you know, mailed to your home in a package that makes it arrive pristine. So, I don't know. It's, yeah. I hear you. You you talking about the Beckett made me laugh just because I remember the first time I saw Beckett magazine. Uh, you know, and I'm, you know, and I'm probably 15 or, you know, something like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's magazines about football collecting, and I buy it, and I go home, and I'm, you know, laying on the floor of my bedroom, and I notice the price guide, and I grab my cards, and I start pricing my cards out and jotting down on a piece of paper what they're worth, and at the end, I end up with like a hundred dollars, and I'm like, holy moly, you know, not, you know, not even <laughs> considering. 
you know, condition of the cards or anything. It just every time I hear yeah. the Beckett magazine, it reminds me of that. It's kind of funny. Yeah, and I, rem- I remember the good old days in the 80s where every dealer, you know, was like uh, had the Beckett uh, literally in front of their eyeballs anytime they, you know, were buying anything or selling anything. And uh, oh, I don't know, it's two dollars in the book. I can't, I can't sell it for under two dollars type of thing. And then today, to me, I, you know, it, because everything, a lot of things are graded now, it, they go by whatever that graded price guide is on their on their uh, phones. And uh, you know, oh, I can't do that. You know, look, yeah. And, and I see so many guys show their phones to the you know prospective customer. No, no, no. You got, I got, I got, I got to get five hundred for it. It's a steel F five hundred. Blah blah blah. And I have no clue what the card is, the manufacturer, even the player in some cases. <laughs> and why would I spend $500 of my cash on something like that? Is is I just, no, I can't do it. But Bob, it's the green refractor. It's the green refractor prism card. Come on. Uh, I know. I know. <laughs> no, Actually, the black we had borders, a couple suggestions. The, the red bordered. We had we had suggestions to uh, introduce different editions of Gridiron Greats magazine. So for like issue eighty one, there would be one cover, then a second cover, then a third cover, mm. and you would randomly get one of the three covers. And then we figured we would get more people to buy because they would want the other two covers. And I said I think we would get more irate customers than anything else. Saying, well. You know, if it's the same information on the inside, why do I need, the, you know, the different covers? And it's a classic, you know, what uh, Street and Smiths did at the end. They came up with all the regional covers, and uh, a lot of people didn't want, you know, whatever. They wanted their favorite team cover. And um, that, to me, created, although it created some demand, it also created some uh, negativity on their part uh, with their customer base. So, interesting. Interesting one way. And now we are not going to go to multiple covers. So I, I will squash that right now. Uh, so no one has to be concerned about that one way or the other. Is, is worried about But anyway, <laughs> our special guest is here, and I want to get him on and uh, like to introduce him at this time. Our guest tonight is a longtime personal friend and sports card and memorabilia collector who actually was a student of mine back in 1988 when we first met. We've remained friends since then and been through many different chapters of collecting. He's a longtime reader of Gridiron Greats magazine, a collector of 1970s and 1980s football card sets, and other assorted sports items and memorabilia. He has, in my opinion, an interesting take on our hobby by his interactions with several longtime collectors over the past few years. He's also a wealth of knowledge and expert and has studied extensively the life and career of former New York Giant, Fordham Rams legend, and Derby Connecticut High School football coach legend, Lou DeFlippa. He's originally from Derby, Connecticut, and currently resides in Bristol, Connecticut. I'd like to welcome my good friend, Mr. Dan Sackey, to the show. Dan, well, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob, and uh, hello, Joe. Pleasure to meet you. Hey. Um, Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, I've been looking forward to uh, for coming on. Bob, I just want to, I just want to put on, yeah, I just want to put the um, perspective on our, uh, on our timeline here. 
2023, that will put us in connection for all or part of five decades, five decades. So it's, uh, it's, wow. it, it's quite a tenure. It's quite a tenure that, that we've had. And, and, and our, our friendship and you know, our connection with one another, it, it has, uh, it, it has several layers to it. And, um, you know, and it's been, um, been a good ride with you. I'll tell you, it's been, um, it, it's been a lot of fun. I, I always find, you know, something that, that we can, you know, relate to. And, uh, and this is just one, one aspect of it, of our friendship. Very true. Very true. And I feel really old now when you say parts of five decades. <laughs> so that means well, I, I got to be I, really I, old now compared to. Yeah. Well, I actually, um, I, I was actually referred to you, um, by, uh, a, um, the parents of a, a childhood friend of mine when I was, uh, in my early twenties, um, to, uh, help me, um, uh, set up a, a resume, my, my first, my very first resume, uh, on, right. because I needed some really good quality paper. And, uh, and I stepped yeah. into your, um, I stepped into your, your, uh, your, your business. And, um, and, and, and it's been, it, it, it's been all good, you know, ever since then. And in, in the corner, Joe, um, if you can imagine this, were monster boxes, <laughs> um, of, of football cards, of football cards. And hey, I actually, and, and I, I, I glanced over at them the first couple times that I, you know, that I went in to see Bob because, you know, I got a purpose here, you know, I'm trying to get my resume done, you know, and, you know, I'm trying to move along here with my life, you know, and, and, you know, do the adult thing. And, and there's my childhood sitting in the corner over there. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, what, like, what, what is this all about? So finally, you know, I, I said, Oh, I said, you know, what do you, you know, you collect. And he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, so we started going through some things and, um, and actually, you know, it spurred right at that moment, I, you know, within, you know, w within those early days of, of our friendship, I, I, I went back and I, I pulled everything out that I had. And, and at the time I, I was, uh, everything was organized by team sets and, um, and I recollated everything I had from, you know, from, from one to five twenty eight you know, cool. with the football sets and, and I recollated everything and I had my number sheet and my, my, my needs list and I crossing off, you know, numbers off my needs list. And I went back to Bob and I said, here's my list. See what you could fill. And he started filling the list and, and, you know, from, from the various years. And, and ever since then, you know, I've been, um, you know, I've been, I've been working on, you know, a lot of different things, you know, I, um, but, but card collecting and, and sports memorabilia is one of the things that, you know, has kept me grounded, you know, since my childhood and, and, uh, and it's always something that I know that I can return to um, and returning yeah. back to it always gives me a perspective. And I, I think this is the, this is really, really the most important thing about, about what, about, about what I, what, what my perspective is on this is that, you know, the card collecting has always been a, uh, a reflection of of my personal history 
and and my connection with with the world around me and and it and and it evolves over time and and it gives you an opportunity to think about you know what were in the implications of of these particular you know artifacts you know whether they be cards or or memorabilia pieces um and and where do they sit within your own personal history and 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 sociology of mm-hmm. of of you know of of how you have evolved as a person um and i think that 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 part of it um has always been has, has always been you know instilled within me and 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 there's and and there are reasons for it and i ho- i hope we get into that you know in our conversation well i got to back up a bit just to, just to fill in a little back from 1987 <laughs> to 1989 i've owned two printing companies in my lifetime um, the current one right now, Slick Enterprises LLC, just does uh, the magazine. But way back when, uh, when Dan walked in, I had a little storefront in Wallingford uh, where I did quick printing, I did resumes, I did typesetting and things of that nature. And um, I had stored a lot of my cards in the store um, because if I had dead time in, you know, in between jobs or whatever, I would pull out my cards, I'd sort them or whatever. And in 1989, my lease, uh, came up on that store and it was too expensive for me. And I, I just, I wasn't getting a lot of walk-in traffic. And at that time, Wallingford ended up having like a half a dozen quick copy centers and, um, it, it was too, it was competitive for me. And then I was doing typesetting for, a big a, a um, four-color printer in Wallingford, and he said to me, why don't you move in with me? Uh, I'll sublet you the space in the office, and then <clears throat> it'll save you money. And whatever walking traffic you still had, you know, just tell him to come down. And it was across town. It wasn't a big deal. And uh, half of me wanted, half of me said, yeah, I got, this is what I got to do. And then 49% of me said, what happens if I converted this to a card shop? a sports memorabilia store. And I know, Dan, we had that discussion back in 1989, and I just couldn't pull the trigger. I said, no, i got to keep doing the printing. And, uh, wow, what a fatal mistake in a way <laughs> that, I, <laughs> that I didn't go that route. But at the same time, uh, we can remember, and to fill our audience in Wallingford, really started to boom during the card explosion, and it went from zero stores to basically five stores um, in a very oh, short wow. period of time and then contracted contracted down to, to nothing. Uh, same thing with the quick copy centers. And this, this, this was kind of funny. Uh, it expanded to six. Uh, I was one of the six. And then it contracted down to one, me. And then when I left that store, I just worked out of my house and I just did it. I did it there until... Uh, Literally, till I moved out of Wallingford, but that's a little history on that. But anyways, that, that's a good that's a good introduction as far as how you got interested in 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 uh, collecting, you know. And uh, Dan, point out um, what you used to get Christmas time uh, from your folks. Yeah. So, um, so my first year of uh, of collecting um, was 1976, and I would have been about eight or nine years old and and i um you know where 
where I live, where, where I grew up, my childhood um, in Derby, um, football was king, um, and you know the high school the high school team was really, to be honest with you, as a young child at you know six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, um, you know a, a lot of those players you know were heroes of mine, and um, and I was very very fortunate, you know, to grow up in Derby because um, you know not only was was football you know, a, a sport that, that was, um, that was well attended. It, it really became a, a binding aspect of the community. It really became, um, a, 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 a social center, uh, for the community. And, and there were, you know, thousands of, of people that would attend Saturday morning games. And, and, uh, you know, my first games I attended, I was uh, nine months old, and uh, my dad carried me in on my shoulders, and um, and and we 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 watched games from if you're facing from the home side of the field, we would watch games from the right side of the press box, right at the door. Um, my grandfather, my father, and I, three generations of us. Um, my uncle, my father's brother, uh, played on the 1969 uh, Derby High School state championship team. Um, and that team is regarded as as one of the greatest teams in in Connecticut high school history, and and right, regarded right. as 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 one of the outstanding teams in the New England region. Um, and I know I know Bob, you have a perspective on on some local players, you know, that came from you know from from the uh, you know New Haven you know, reads area that went Valley. on to play professionally. Right, right. And, yeah. and again, yeah, with, the Valley area was a hotbed of football. Uh, the Saransky's, uh big football family in the Valley there, Bob Saransky played for the Packers. Uh, a lot of a lot of guys were uh, good college uh, players. And uh, as we as we go on in the show tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about Lou DeFilippo also, DeFilippo. Yeah. Uh, who was the king of coaching uh, for many, many years in the Valley there. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was a football so, hotbed, to say the least. Yeah, so so my interest in, in, in football, um, you know, came from that connection with the community, that connection with my family. Um, Derby was a very, very small town. Uh, the, the, the smallest, uh, had the smallest football program uh, in the state. Um, and um but it was you know it it was a program to be reckoned with and you know in as a child i would uh, i would get a box of football cards um you know at christmas time and and i would you know i i would open them up and i would sort them into team sets and um and i would use the checklist i still have the checklist in my original 76 set um, they still have my handprints on it. They still have the ink markings on it that I, you know, that, 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 you know, that I, you know, applied to them, um, you know, and it's interesting because I can see just, and, and this is an example of a personal, an example of personal history. And you start to relate to like, like where you are in your life. Those early sets, the 76, 77 set, and, and, and you can start to see slight um, impressions on, on the checklist. The checklists in 76 are more 
runs. So, like, like if, if I completed a team set, I wouldn't just fill in the box. I would actually run a line along that checklist to show that yep. every card was 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 in was in my hand. When I get to like 77, 78, 79, those checklists are much more defined within the box. So there's a natural maturity from say a young child to adolescence and 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 you can see like like the process of organization you know is it's it's there it's it's on the cards you know as as i see them the one the cards that are most um the cards that are most handled are the ones that the you know that 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 i coveted the most you know and and it's it it's almost it's almost a complete 180 from you know from what we see today you know the 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 cards right. that that right. you desire the most the cards that you desire the most are the least handled. They're the ones that are encapsulated. They're the ones that are graded, you know, and, and that was that whole evolution has really changed the perspective of what collecting is. um, And, and how that, you know, has really come about is sociologically is very interesting. Um, And, and the um, even, even within the handling of say doubles or, you know, what people call duplicates or dupes, um, you know, we had numerous games that we would play, you know, with our dupes or, uh, you know, our doubles at cards that, of, or, or, or cards that, 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 that we had a lesser interest in, even if they were singles, you know, we would play leaners, right. we would, you know, we would play flips. Um, we would trade, um, there was never, ever, I mean, of course, you know, at, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old um, in the 70s, you know, you, you didn't have, you didn't have a dollar anyway, you know, as, as a child, you know, you were, you, you were concerned, you know, with your childhood. And um, yeah, right, so even, right. you know, trading, you know, trading, you would, and, you know, you and know, we you, weren't you would concerned about condition. It's not like we were looking yeah. at centering and, you know, et cetera. I mean, I, I remember trading like 15 cards for an O.J. Simpson, you know, card exactly. just because I wanted the O.J. Exactly, exactly. And, yeah, and if you have, you know, and, and if you had the O.J., you were like, well, I could, I, I could find some of my favorite team. I could find, a, you know, a handful yep. of players that, that that I just became familiar with by watching games on you know on Sunday you know and stuff like that yep. so yep, um, yep. so that part of it is is something that you know when I um when I you know when 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 I take out my sets and and I look at them and you know that it's it's that 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 story is told through the cards it's not something that like oh I remember when you know and and you know when when I you know when I had these cards you know we would do these things and so on and so forth. It's actually there. It's you know the edges are ding. There's I, I can I I tell people I take cards out and I and and I look at them and I said 
I had elastic bands all over these. You could see how the edges <laughs> are. You can see, you know, you can see how they were, you know, how how I originally set them up in team sets, and um, and then subsequently right. um, yep. in the late '80s, um, my, you know, I my checklists have pencil marks on them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, that's that's so funny because. That OJ card, it was a 76 uh, rushing record breaker. And oh, I started okay. collecting in 78. So just seeing a card before 78 was new to me. So, I mean, I wanted yeah. it because I'd never seen a 1976 card, something earlier than, you know, uh, you know 78. Uh, I didn't even know what the Steve Largent rookie card looked like back then, Bob, <laughs> because 78 <laughs> wow. was my, my first. And That's then scary. it was OJ, and it was a 76 card. As just said, I just remember, like, come on, man, you know, and, and fi- you know, finally just a couple more cards, and he gave it to me, and it was beat to crap. It went right into my <laughs> lunchbox, which had, you know, my, my thermos with milk leaking in it and stuff. Yeah, it's <laughs> so funny. I love it. Yeah, I had a smile on my face while you were talking about that stuff, that, all, all that, because that, that, that's all very – that's burned in my memory too. So yeah. Uh, yeah. We, Bob, wow. we were talking about this before the show. I've heard this from many, many dealers that football collectors buy and hoard, whereas baseball collectors will buy. And then when they need something, they will look at what to sell to buy something else. So they're constantly, you know, churning their collection Whereas footballers buy, hold, and then just go work overtime or get money to buy something else. Um, and that, that, that I, I don't know if it's true, but I know that's kind of how my personal collecting habits go. But what, what else? I mean, you know, between when you started collecting in the seventies and now other than slabbing and like you said, they, you know, you know, what else, what are some other differences between then and now? Well, the sheer, the sheer number of, of cards that are in terms of like sets, you know, that, that are out there, you know, nowadays, um, it's mind boggling. I, you know, I, I consider myself, um, to be, uh, someone who can organize things pretty well, you know, in, in my mind and, you know, quickly, you know, sort through, Oh, this is this, and this is, you know, even, even with initial, you know, things that I'm not very familiar with, you know, I, I, I have a, I have a capacity to, to organize and understand things, um, you know, very quickly. And, and it's just mind boggling to me. I, I went to a show on, on Saturday and, um, and, and, you know, you go to a table of, of say, you know, modern or ultra modern cards and oh, man. it's, it's virtually impossible to, to, for someone to describe to you, well, what is this card? What, what is the, like, what is the year? What is the set? What is the, totally. like, what is it? And, and I see countless, countless situations um, on social media, in person, at card shows, um, in various um, other communications where people who are out there just buying boxes and, and they are opening packs they will pull out an insert card and 
and or or a short print or something of that nature, um, which is the that's that's what people are looking for. You know, those those types of things did not exist. Um, you know, back you know during my childhood, um, and even you know into the 80s. It, um, you know, maybe the late 80s has started with you know some some uh some insert cards but they were they were inserted per for every pack but there are so many different variations of cards nowadays that people don't even know what they are they they're they're asking you know the populace like well what is this what do i have what do i have and they're and and it's almost like they're you know crying out i hope it's worth five thousand dollars you know and uh (laughs) and you know you know, uh, Joe, you mentioned about the record breaker set, which was the first, uh, the, the subset in that '76 set, which is the um, that's the first, oh. the, the the first handful of cards. I didn't. Uh, know that. in that, that's cool. Yeah, it's the it's the first handful of cards in that '76 set, and uh, oh. and 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 I think about it now. If I were to, and 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 this is how I relate things, right? So if I were to relate like insert cards of yesteryear to today i would it, and and while while that a record breaker set of um a league leaders subset um the playoff yeah, and maybe. super bowl yeah. subset yeah, right um yeah, you know yeah. um, even 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 team checklists as a subset they're almost in a like in a little bit of like a tinge of a way like an insert in a sense because they're not they're, they're they're not your your player card they're not your all pro card you know um so so it was you know a time when when you open those packs i know myself when i got the 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 afc nfc and and super bowl cards uh afc championship nfc championship and super bowl cards those were to me though because those were significant markers in history to me i i really enjoyed you know having those cards and um yeah yeah so they yeah so that that i think is 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 another you know interesting aspect one thing i do want to say that i do think is is a positive aspect about um cards in particular is the quality of the stock, the actual, the card stock itself, um, beginning in 1989, um, and the explosion of cards in general, uh, with Upper Deck and Pro Set and even Action Pack, um, you know, the the quality of the card stock um, continues to 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 improve in a variety of different ways, and you know, so much so they're able to you know, include, you know, swatches from uniforms and, um, you know, autographs on cards without them, you know, really having, um, you know, a risk, a risk to them, you know, in, in, in transit and and things like that. Um, and, and the, um, the print, uh, technology is also a very, very important, you know, aspect of, of, of card collecting today. I think, um, and it's so interesting to me that that you know the grading uh, phenomenon is, has caught on the way it did because 
because you if if you go and you pick up uh, a box of of cards and you open packs from those cards, like every to my eye, every one of them is is a ten, right? So and and that's right. and 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 I I I say ten and I say ten hesitantly because because in the eighties, not as a child, but but during my 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 early adult years um like the condition like we never talked about grading in in a, in in a even even in a even in a, in in a in a minor sense we would we would speak of condition and we would speak of condition from poor to mint you know it would, you know poor um yep. excellent um near mint, mint, and the various degrees of conditions in between. And it was, it was an agreed, this is the, the sociological phenomenon of collecting today. It, when, when I looked at a card and, and another person looked at a card and we were, and we were negotiating an exchange, that negotiation was established based upon an agreed understanding of, of what the condition w- for that card was. If I thought the card was, was X meant and another person, you know, looked at it, they would, you know, and, and they came upon it and said, well, I think this is more, um, you know, X. I don't really see, you know, the near mint aspect of it. And, and you point out, you know, a couple little things, you know, um, the corners, you know, three out of the four corners are sharp. Maybe there's a, you know, a little slight, you know, uh, chipping on one corner. So, you know, and, but, but the point of it is, is that, is that the negotiation for a card was an agreed communication between two individuals that actually have the vested interest in that card and now we have but not just but that not, grading not just is subjective thing. that grading is subjective between people i mean you saw it in the wild wild west of ebay you still see it yeah. with third-party graders where an yeah, eight exactly. you know if you submit it 10 times could could slide into a nine still subjective yeah, yeah. exactly but 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 my, my point is is that it was between the two people that were negotiating for the card um Good and point. yeah and, Gotcha. You know, whereas, you know, whereas today, you know, there's a third party, you know, intervention yeah. that occurs. Yeah. Yeah. Bob and I are constantly yeah, making yeah, refractors and chromes and, you know, emerald edge cards. I mean, uh, Bob, was it Todd Tobias who was saying, you know, when he worked at PSA, they had an entire division that whose sole job was to figure out what the hell the card was. And he's like, if only right. the manufacturers right. send us a list of what they're making, we could save so much time. But he's like, even PSA was like, hey, we just need to figure out what the hell they're calling this. You know, it was, right. yeah, Chrome, yeah, it's it's so weird. Oh, well. Dan, we're, we're down to 12 minutes, and I, I want to spend a little time on DeFilippo. So I'm going to hand off to Joe. Joe, um, let's, let's go to your question now. On Lou DiFilippo. Oh yeah, 
I, I hadn't heard of that. Uh, I, I always love when somebody has a passion about something and it's something I didn't know about. And I love looking, looking it up. And obviously, you know, uh, you know, Bob mentioned in the preamble, you know, you're from uh, Derby, Connecticut and Lou uh, De Filippio was uh, a coach there later on went to, you know, went to, uh, to the Fordham Rams and uh, the Giants. Tell us how you got interested in that other than, you know, geographically. Well, um, Lou DiFilippo was was the head football coach at Derby High School from uh, 1968 until 1982, 1982, 1983. Um, mm. And, you know, prior to that, but, you know, if we, if we go back, you know, to the beginning, um, he, he attended uh, Hill House High School in uh, New Haven. He was um, yeah. a standout athlete there, um, was a captain of the football team, um, and, and played other sports there while he was there. Um, he went on to, uh, to play football at Fordham. He was the captain at Fordham, um, and he was, um, he, he was part of the, the 1941 Fordham team that went to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, played Texas A and M, and um, this was the the fifth uh, Cotton Bowl Classic in 1941. Um, and Lou was at that time they didn't have like a single most valuable player. They picked like two or three play. I, they picked like two or three players from from each team as MVPs. And uh, Lou was uh, the M- one of the MVPs for, for, for from Fordham, um, and um, it was uh, Fordham was uh, ranked 12th uh, in the AP. Um, it was the the year following um, Fordham went to play in the Sugar Bowl and they they won the Sugar Bowl in uh, 1942. Um, so this team was probably a catalyst um, for that for that following year. Um, they lost to Texas A&M in the 1941 Cotton Bowl. Uh, 13 to 12, they had both uh, extra points were blocked, um, and so that was the um, that was the difference in the game. Um, Lou went on to um, he was he was drafted um, by uh, the New York Giants. Um, oh wow! That year, yep, he was drafted by the New York Giants that year um, in the sixth round. Uh, he was the 47th pick, um, and he played for the New York Giants in uh, 1941. Um, and then he, like many, many others, um, um, you know, became part of the uh, military service. And I don't have with me, you know, exactly which, which branch of service that he served in, um, but he did serve, um, you know, during the, during the World War II period. And then he came back and played with the New York Giants uh, 1945, 1946, and 1947. Um, he had various um, experiences um, in coaching uh, following that, and he was was a part of um, several uh, coaching staffs at the NFL level, um, and and in that in in that period of time, um, in the late 1940s and 1950s. He he held uh, assistant positions with Purdue, Fordham, Columbia. Um, he went on 
coach at the professional level with the Baltimore Colts. And, um, and somewhere along that line, um, he established, I, I, I know he and, and uh, Vince Lombardi um, had, had some, some roles on, on, on some of the coaching, some coaching somewhere. Um, and, and I'm, I'm still trying to uh, gain a better perspective on that. But specifically, I want to get to his years at Derby. Um, he had 15 years uh, Derby uh, high school football coach. He interviewed for a position in Shelton, which is the next town, next city over. Um, and, and he was turned down for that position. It was only a coaching position. Then he heard that Derby had a position for coaching and a teaching position available at high school. And, um, and when he was, was offered that position, um, the, the story goes that, that the first question he asked back was, do you play Shelton? <laughs> so, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So, so his, um, so Shelton was Shelton Derby Thanksgiving day was one of the longest running, um, tradition games, traditional games on, on Thanksgiving. Um, and, um, unfortunately a couple years ago, it was, uh, it was, uh, that, that streak had, had ended. It was over a hundred years that, that the two schools had met. Um, but during his 15 year tenor, tenure at, uh, at Derby high school, uh, coach DiFilippo, uh, recorded, uh, a record of a record of 116 wins, 30 losses and eight ties. There were, uh, five teams that went undefeated. Uh, the 68, the 69 team, the 72, the 73, wow. and the 75 team. Um, the team finished the the, uh, the team finished first as uh, top ranked team, which, which was the um, the rankings were 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 designed by by the sports writers, by the local sports writers um, from uh, the New Haven uh, Register, and um, and I think one of the other papers, but. But, um, you know, in, in my region, the New Haven, you know, one was, was the most coveted one. Um, and uh, they they finished twice uh, as a top-ranked team in 1969, 1972. Um, and, you know, to to really put a stamp and an understanding on Lou DiFilippo um, as a person and as a man, I, I really only had one interaction with him as a Pop Warner player, maybe at about nine years old. Um, he came into the um, the Leo Leo Ryan uh, field house, and he addressed us uh, before before one of the games. I'm, I I want to say it was That's the Ansonia cool. game, and he said, um, you know, and and he gave us his his words of encouragement. Um, but he was really truly a um, a maker of of boys to men, um, and 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 he was humble. And, and, mm. and he did his work and he did his work with, with tremendous humility. And, and I think that that is part of his legacy that, that not only is stays with him, but that he carried down to, to other coaches. The 69 team really gained a lot of people. Um, uh, it, it garnished a lot of people that, that went on to other coaching careers as well. Uh, Charlie DeCenzo uh, followed him um, as the oh. football coach at Derby High School. He won state championships with Derby High School. Uh, Buster Jaddick, who was part of that 69 team, 
uh, became uh, the wrestling coach, the wrestling team, won state championships. Um, and, you know, you have to keep in mind that Derby is the smallest city in America. There is, you know, it's, 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 it, it's in the, like, six, 7,000 yeah. people range. I was going to um, ask what the population was because you can't have that kind of winning record based on talent alone coming through your high school for four years. That's coaching. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to have that, yeah. I mean, every, everybody gets that All-American, you know, who, you know, takes them to state, but then that person leaves. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's a 750 win record percentage. Yeah. That's impressive. Well, to, and and prior to, to going to, to, to becoming a head coach at Zerby, he, he was the head coach at East Meadow High School in Long Island from 1961 to 1968. And in the seven years, he compiled a 46-9-1 and one record. He, they won the league five straight years, the league championship from 1963 to 1967 and the Long Island Championship in 1964. You know, he, he also coached lacrosse at East Meadow, and he was the freshman coach at Yale University. And his relationship with Yale University really helped a lot of young men who, who probably would not have had an opportunity to go to a prestigious school, but were elite mm. athletes, uh, guys like uh, John Pagliaro and Ben Blue, who came out of the Derby program, um, went to Yale and, um, and John Pagliaro was an absolute superstar. Um, he was yeah, part of that yeah. 72, 73 team. And Bob, maybe another time we can, you know, we can reflect on, on some of this stuff and, and draw in some things about Yale, but, um, right, but right. it was, it, it, it was a special time in my life. Um, it was a special It, it it was a special period in uh you know a season um in in american history um 1976 you know the year that i started collecting um was a time you know when you know america's bicentennial um you know i you know and being in a small community um you know all of those aspects of of the traditions and the values that that we hold close to us um were on display we're in conversation and and a part of our life and 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 I think that right. that that is that is the that's the that's what I want people to to come away with. I want people to come away with the idea that that there are individuals that are tied to 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 your community and to you to your personal experience within your community that help you understand where your where where we are in 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 relation Dan, we to, might have to the, we might have to cut you off. We're running out of time. I yeah, we, yeah. we didn't even well, Dan, I I'm gonna it. my my favorite Thank topic. We're down to thirty seconds. Stories about Bob. We're gonna have Fred. you back on. We're gonna finish finish everything. All right. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. All right, we're we're completely out of time. We'll be back. Uh, hopefully next week with another show. Joe, we'll talk to you. We don't run it to the wire very often, but man, what I, yeah, he great. I loved him.